Recently, my family started watching a television documentary called Alone. It's about 10 people, all of whom are survival experts who were dropped in the middle of nowhere, independent of each other, with the goal of outlasting everyone else. And so they are given a, 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 a box of cameras that, that they have to use to self-document their existence in the middle of nowhere and a few other items that they're allowed to take and that's it. So they have to start fire, they have to find food, they have to build shelter and they just try to last as long as they can. It's been fascinating to watch. And, and, and as, as I've observed some of these people in, in their attempt to survive and outlast everyone else, one thing has stood out to me uh, ab above all others, because as these people are self-documenting their journey, every single one of them reaches a point where they say the most difficult part of the entire experience is being alone. Like if you were to ask me, okay, hey, we're going to drop you off in the middle of nowhere. You got a backpack with a few items in it and, uh, you know, cameras, you got to document everything. What's going to be the hardest part? And I would tell you the hardest part is going to be not eating real food, <laughs> right? Like not sleeping on a schedule. Like there's a lot of hard parts. The food is what I would keep coming back to. No Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries, right? No Chick-fil-A. Like, I mean, there's people on this show, like they're trying to trap mice, like, with a big rock and a string and a twig that they cut and trying to, you know, eat a mouse. And I'm like, that ain't how I'm gonna live my life, you know? And like, you ask me, what's the hardest part? Food, finding all that. But, but, but all of these people who are experts in survival, you know, they find ways to eat even though they, they get so very hungry and they, they build fire and they build shelter and they struggle and they're tired and you get all this, but then they reach a point in the process where to a person, they say the hardest part is being alone. No other human contact for weeks and even months. No conversations, missing family, missing friends. I mean, just missing anyone. Like literally being alone for that long of a period of time, months at a time, eventually takes a toll. And, and they've all said, that's what's been so fascinating to me, being alone is the most difficult part. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe you were alone for an extended period of time. Those of you who are parents are thinking, I'd love to have some of that in my life. Where do I sign up for this adventure, right? But we don't encounter that kind of dynamic very often. But, but as you go back through the history of Israel, what's so fascinating, one of the most fascinating aspects of their history is that there was a period of time when they were very much alone. Like alone, alone. I mean, we, we, we know about Moses, right? Like we know about Abraham and we know about David and we know about Solomon and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets. But once you navigate all of that and you move through the prophets, there's a period of time where for 400 years, Israel did not hear from God. He was silent. No miraculous examples, 
no prophetic witness. There were 400 years in Israel's history where literally they did not hear from God. There were no prophets, there were no miracles. I mean, that's a long time where they were seemingly on their own. They were alone. And many of them in Israel felt that. I mean, do you realize how long 400 years is? Like, like that's longer than we've existed formally as a country. 400 years, longer than this thing called America has been in existence. They did not hear from God. God's chosen people didn't hear from them. No prophets, no miracles, nothing. 400 years of darkness, 400 years of silence. It was getting to them. At the dawn of the first century, they're under Roman oppression. Many of them crying out to God. The answer coming back is silence. 400 years. That's a long time to be alone. And then through an unsuspecting person, God breaks the silence. Through a man that no one would have anticipated being the recipient of a divine messenger, God pierces the darkness. And the man's name is Zechariah, and his name means, check this out, God has remembered. For 400 years, many in Israel wondered if God had forgotten them, if God was gonna be forever silent, if the Messiah were actually coming, if God was gonna fulfill his promises. 400 years. And the breaking of that silence and the piercing of that darkness happens by an angelic visitation to a man named Zechariah, whose name means, no, God has remembered, he is faithful to his people. Zechariah's wife's name is Elizabeth. Her name means my God is an oath or my God is a promise. In other words, God is faithful. And so to these two people who are not accidentally named, we see the breaking of the silence. We see the piercing of the darkness because God is bringing this period of 400 years of Israel being alone to an end and he's going to do a great work. We see this exchange in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter one. If you have a copy of God's word, turn there with me to Luke chapter one. Turn on your phones, your tablets, flip there in, in, in your hard copy of the scriptures to Luke chapter one. I, I want you to see here what to many would, would be viewed as an impossible faith. As this man, Zechariah, who's just doing his work. He's, he's, he's trying to be faithful to what he was called to do. He's, like he's, he's, he's going through his everyday life, but is encountered by an angelic witness who's making an announcement that will literally change the world. We, we pick it up in verse five. Here's what's happening. Now, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife, Elizabeth, check this out, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So we got this guy, Zechariah. We see that he's a priest in Israel. He's from 
the, the order of Abijah, Zechariah was one of 24 priestly divisions in Israel. And Zechariah married very well for a priest. He married a woman in Elizabeth who also came from the priestly line of Aaron. You know what that's like? That's like in our day, this is what I experienced, okay, being called to ministry, being called to be a pastor. That was me many years ago. And I thought if God's calling me to be a pastor, I have to marry someone who can play the piano. It's not in the Bible, but it's close, okay? If you're gonna be a pastor, you have to marry someone who plays the piano. And sure enough, in our very first little pastor that God called us to, there were many a Sunday morning where my lovely bride had to play the piano. And so you have a pastor and a pastor's wife and they, they both bring a lot to the table, you hope. That's the goal, right? And, and that was the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Notice Zechariah comes from, from the tribe or, or from the order of Abijah. And Elizabeth herself also comes from the priestly line of Aaron, okay? And we learn, look at verses six and seven, that they're incredible people. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Luke doesn't tell us they were righteous in our eyes because our eyes can be deceived. <laughs> no, they were righteous in God's eyes. The Lord weighs the heart. And so these are outstanding people, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are righteous in God's eyes. They're good people. They're faithfully serving. They're careful to obey, the scripture says, all the Lord's commandments and regulations, but we have a problem. Watch this, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, I just want you to see how important it is and how intentional it is that Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous in God's eyes because of Elizabeth's barrenness, they would have been viewed as being under the judgment of God. Now, this is a wrong assumption that many made during this period of Israel's history, but this is the way it was done. And for a woman to be unable to bear forth a son and perpetuate the family name was a stigma. I mean, Elizabeth would have been shamed profoundly because of this. But Luke is careful to point out that her barrenness is not the result of anything that she or Zechariah have done. It's because God has a greater plan and a greater purpose. You see, not all hardship and not all suffering is due to the foolish actions of mankind. Sometimes we endure hardship because of the world that we live in. And sometimes it's because of the direct providence of God. He's at work in ways that we cannot fully understand in the moment. This was the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so Luke's very strategic to tell us that there's nothing wrong with them. They've not offended the Lord. They've not done something that's brought on this barrenness. Like, no, they're, they're, they're wonderful people, faithfully serving the Lord. They love the Lord, walk with the Lord, listen to the Lord, lean into the Lord. There's nothing wrong with them, but there is something wrong with their situation because, because Elizabeth can't have a son and hasn't been able to have a son. And now here's what Luke tells us, they're both old. Here's what that means, okay, going back and capturing this phrase in the original language, okay, they were over the age of 60. <laughs> now, I'm gonna let you determine whether or not that's old. I'm just gonna tell you this. We have a ministry here at Bell Shoals called Leading the Way. It's for those who are 60 and over. And a lot of you who are, you're qualified to be in that ministry don't wanna be in that ministry. 
We always send out an email on the like 60th birthday. You get a wonderful email from Bell Shoals from our team that leads, leading the way. Welcome to leading the way. You wouldn't believe some of the responses we get. I'm not a part of this. People tell me today after the first service, I ain't never going to be a part of that ministry, Pastor. I ain't old. And then they got in their walker and went to their car. <laughs> I'll let you figure out what's old, all right? I know, it's, I know age is just a number, but, but here's what Luke's telling us, okay? Like, here's what he means. Zechariah and Elizabeth, we can all agree on this, okay? They were past the childbearing years. Okay, they were at least past the age of 60, they're way past, I mean, we're talking, they're way past being able to have a child. Okay, we can all agree on that. You reach an age where that seems very unlikely, if not impossible. So that's where they were. That's what Luke's communicating to us. Like they're, they're way past that. And their barren situations, not the result of their unfaithfulness to God, they're good godly people. That would have been widely misunderstood. And so you have in this period of darkness, in this period of silence, a priest who, by all human perception, is a good man, but by his life situation is not. Because he and his wife can't have a son. And so here's what happens. Look at, look at verse 8. So one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. Every priestly division, by the way, served in the temple twice a year. So Zechariah's rotation is, um, is up. He's serving in the temple this week. And it was the custom of the priest to choose someone by the casting of lots to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And Zechariah was chosen. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, let me tell you what Luke is highlighting for us, okay? He's highlighting here the plan and the purpose of God. Because there were based on Jewish historians, check this out, at least 18,000 priests who served at the temple throughout the year, 18,000. And, and it was a, a, a significant honor to be chosen by the casting of lots to go in on behalf of the people and burn incense in the inner sanctuary of the temple. And, 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 and look here, it just so happens that on this particular rotation that Zechariah is chosen out of the thousands who could have been. That's not a coincidence. That's providence. God has a plan. God's about to do a great work. And so Zechariah is chosen out of thousands of others and he enters the temple to offer incense on behalf of the people and all the other people are outside and they're waiting for Zechariah to go in and they're waiting for him to come out. But check this out, look at verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah, notice, was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Overwhelmed, shaken, like he's, he's as scared as you could possibly be. You ever been that afraid? I don't know if you've ever been like that afraid of someone or something. It'd be rare probably for us in our society, but like, man, to have that kind of fear grip you, like that overwhelming fear in a moment where you feel certain that your life is coming to an end, that's a profound fear. When I think of that, I, I actually think of a moment in my family's history when um, I introduced my children to roller coasters. 
I, I grew up just north of Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, there's an amusement park there called Kings Island, which is one of the premier roller coaster parks in the country. And uh, man, I grew up going there, loved it, like had season passes. And then my kids got old enough, like, okay, we can, we can take them, you know? And, um, and so we're, we're like, we're gonna go. And, you know, my kids were young enough, some of them, they're like, dad, I don't know if we wanna do this. I'm like, well, I paid for you to do this, you're gonna do it. And so we go, actually, they were kind of excited. Some of my kids were excited. Some of my kids weren't excited. They're nervous. So we get in there and we're like, okay, roller coaster number one, kids, let's go. It's one of the ones where your feet are dangling off the bottom and all that. Had some of my kids, "Uh uh-uh, no. All right, that's fine. And then the pressure is on. All right, come on, you can do this next one. Come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And so they start to try to ease into it. Well, we get to one, which was my favorite. It's It's a wooden roller coaster called the Beast. This wooden roller coaster was constructed shortly after Christopher Columbus landed in the Americas. (laughs) It has been there forever. It is rotting, it is creaky, it's a four and a half minute ride in the woods, it's dark at night, you're screaming through the forest, you know, it is awesome. You don't know if you're gonna live or die, which makes it even more exciting. And so I get my, three of my kids, I'm like, it's time, we're going, we're gonna get on the beast. But dad, no, but dad. The Holy Spirit has moved us to this moment, we're going. So my kids, give them credit, man, they go. And we hit that first hill. Oh man, well, I actually, I I got the picture of it. I, I, uh... Now, don't pay any attention to that moron in the front that knew where all the cameras were, okay? My two boys, oh. (laughs) When I think about what Zechariah may have looked like in the temple, that's what comes to my mind. My youngest son at the time, literally for four and a half minutes had that pose. In his mind, it was, if I can't see it, it's not happening to me. And I'm like trying to, hey, bud, it's okay. We're okay, bud, we're okay. And then my youngest son, I don't even know what was going on with him. But I think it involved a lot of negotiation with the Lord. God, if you will get me off this ride, I will serve you all the days of my life, okay? I don't know if you've ever been like, overwhelmed with fear, scared to death. Maybe you've been in a situation where your life was legitimately at risk. I just wanna emphasize to you that when any man or woman encounters the glory of God through an angelic messenger, this is the response. It's an overwhelming, immediate understanding that we are finite and God is not. And I know some of us have angels on the tops of our trees and angels on the mantle of our fireplace and we have angels in beautiful frames on our walls. We have all these angels at Christmas time. I just want you to understand if Zechariah were to go home with you today, walk into your living room and see all these angels, he would freak out. That would not be appealing to him, okay? Because when we are confronted with the glorious 
majesty of God or of one of his angelic messengers, the response is not, let me pull out my phone and take a selfie for Instagram. The response is, I'm gonna have to swing by Target on my way home and get a new pair of underwear. <laughs> Every single time. There are no exceptions to this in human history. To encounter the glory of God is to be fully convinced that you're gonna die. I, I emphasize that because there are people today who think, you know what, when I see God one day, I am gonna, no, 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 no. You'll bow the knee, you'll give glory, and you'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> no one's shaking their fist at God, right? And, and Zechariah, for as great a man as he was, is now confronted with the glory of God through this angelic messenger. And Luke says he's shaken and overwhelmed, just like everyone else who's ever encountered the glory of God in this way. And so notice verse 13, the angel, okay, says, don't be afraid. Right, I'm not here to kill you. And that's important, right? right? That the angel begins with, no, 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 don't be afraid. And then, I love this, he says, God has heard your prayer and your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you'll name him John. Now let me look, dig a little bit deeper there about the prayer because I know at first glance it may seem like, well, the angel's gonna answer the prayer for a son. And no doubt there were many years that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a son. I actually think something deeper is happening here with reference to the prayer. I think the prayer at this stage of Zechariah's life is more about God ending this period of darkness and silence. One of the reasons I think this is true is because of Zechariah's response that we'll see here in a moment to the angel telling him he's gonna have a son, which is total disbelief. Zechariah's not like, oh yeah, I've been praying this for a long time, thank you. Like that wasn't on his radar. Zechariah, as we're gonna see, knows how old he is. He knows how old his wife is. I think the prayer here, the, the ultimate prayer, okay? Yes, in a sense, the prayer for a son is gonna be answered, but the ultimate prayer here that the angel is addressing is the prayer as a Jewish man that God end the period of silence and that he pierce the darkness. I think what the angel is saying is, Zechariah, no, 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 hey, listen, I'm here not to kill you. I'm here to communicate to you that God's favor rests on you because through you, we are inaugurating the end of this period of being alone and the Messiah is going to come. That's the prayer. That's the ultimate hope of Zechariah, that the Messiah would come and break the yoke of Roman oppression. That's the prayer. And as an evidence that God's gonna answer this prayer, he says, and, and your wife is gonna have a son. God's gonna do the impossible to prove to you that he's in the impossible doing business. And so look at verse 14. So the angel says, you'll have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. By the, by the way, I think that many rejoicing is you and me, not just like their family and friends. I mean, I, this has a broader scope here, right? Like literally today, we're still rejoicing over the witness of John the Baptist. And he says, so therefore he'll never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. 
and, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And, and after all of this, Angelico, Zechariah is fearing for his life. The angel's like, no, I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to show you that you're an instrument of God's blessing. Zechariah in verse 18 says this, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. He has tremendous doubt and Zechariah does what no man should do. He calls his wife old. <laughs> you don't do that. Those of you newly married, just take notes here. Like Zechariah, Elizabeth comes up to you and says, hey, honey, does this outfit make me look old? <laughs> hmm. The answer is no. But Zechariah says to the, to the angel, um, I don't think you understand who you're talking to. I'm old. My wife is old. She has a master's degree in geriatrics and a PhD in Depends. Like, I don't think you know who you're talking to here. We are old. And, and, and Luke tells us that he doubts seriously what the angel says to him. Now, I have never been confronted by an angel. But if that were to ever happen, well, other than my wife. Okay, other than my wife. All right, that was for free. That, was, that wasn't planned. All right, no. But doesn't it seem a little odd to you that this man confronted by an angel is now arguing with the angel? And so if any of you are ever confronted by an angel, here's my advice, don't argue. But what the angel has communicated, I mean, Zechariah loses his mind here for a moment and he leans into his own human understanding. In the inner sanctuary of the temple, here he is confronted by the glory of an angel sent directly from the Lord. And he says to the angel, I don't think you know who you're talking to here. I am old and my wife is old. And he's like, this is not going to happen. And so look at verse 19. So the angel says, um, I don't think you know who you're speaking to. I am Gabriel and I stand in the very presence of God. And it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I love that. Gabriel's like, no, I come directly from the Lord. If you're new to church, new to the Bible, you'd, you'd be interested to know that there are only two angels named in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. There is a whole theology here of, of angels. I, I, of course, we're not gonna get into all that today, but, but angels have a certain rank a certain order. They're not, they're, not, they're not all given the same measure of responsibility. And what Gabriel is saying to Zechariah is, I am Gabriel, I have come directly from God himself. I'm not on the lower end of the uh, totem pole here. I'm up here with Michael. And I've come directly from the Lord to give this good news to you. And because you have doubted and not believed, you will not be able to speak until your son is born. 
And so Zechariah is disciplined for, for his lack of faith and the Lord's gonna teach him a valuable lesson about the importance of faith and focusing on the power of our God rather than the size of our problems. And I know there are situations in life where we have doubts and that's okay. There are gonna be times when you and I have doubts. Here's the difference between how Zechariah handled the situation and someone like Abraham, who was in a very similar situation but didn't express this type of doubt. Here's the difference, listen to me. Some doubts seek answers while other doubts put up a defense against the possibility of an answer altogether. And there are some doubts that seek answers. There are some doubts, we're gonna see this next week with Mary. There are some doubts that lean into the possibility and then there are some doubts that refuse the possibility altogether. Zechariah has the latter, not the former. Abraham, on the other hand, leaned into what God could do. Here's what Paul says in Romans 4. I love this. Abraham's faith, when he was told that he was going to have a child in his old age, his faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. Can we all agree 100 years old is an appropriate age for our leading the way ministry? I mean, 100, can we at least, at least that's okay, right? Like if we send you a letter at 100, you won't get mad, right? <laughs> Abraham is 100, Sarah is old, like, and God says, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fulfill my promise to you to multiply your descendants and give you a son. Now look at what Paul says. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Is that not an amazing thing? In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Now, Zechariah doesn't do that. Zechariah has a doubt not seeking answers. He has a doubt that denies there is an answer to be given. And therefore, he's not gonna be allowed to speak. And so here, here's what happens. Let me wrap this up. Verse 21. So meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary. They're wondering why he's taking so long. And when he finally comes out, he plays charades with them. <laughs> He can't speak. And, and so the scripture says they realize from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. And when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Da, 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 da. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And she said this, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And the Lord was faithful to do what he said he would do. And all of this serves as a reminder to you and me as we kick off this Christmas season that in periods of darkness and in periods where it seems like God is silent, he remembers us. He is faithful to us and he will fulfill all of his promises to us. You say, well, what's the ultimate proof of this? Well, we're gonna get to that here in a few weeks. The ultimate proof is what we call the incarnation, the fact that our Messiah came. That he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross in our place, and he rose from the dead. You see, the incarnation 
is a tremendous reminder to us that our God is faithful to do what he's promised to do. And so how do you move your life to a place where you can walk with assurance and confidence? Listen to me, here's what you have to understand, that God's plan for your life is going to revolve around faith. You're gonna have to have faith. I'm not talking about a blind faith. I'm not talking about a foolish faith. I'm talking about a faith rooted in the nature and the character of God. I'm talking about a faith rooted in his word. I'm talking about a faith rooted in his acts in human history. I'm talking about a faith rooted in the fulfillment of his promises time and time again. But listen to me, God's plan for your life revolves around faith. The scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please him. You're never gonna graduate at whatever age you're you're currently at or whatever age you get to. Listen, you're never gonna graduate from your need to walk with God in faith. You're never gonna get to an age or a maturity level where you don't have to apply faith to your current situation. That's never gonna happen. I know we like to think that, you know what, if I stay with it and I'm really faithful like a Zechariah and Elizabeth, I'm gonna get to a point in my life when I'm like a super Christian and I can kind of hover around everybody else and give direction and counsel, but I don't have to do anything myself. No, you're never gonna get there. God is always going to work in your life to cultivate greater faith and trust in him because he's interested in this relationship he has with you that he gave his son to solidify, right? And so you're never gonna outgrow your need for faith. God's work in your life is always gonna revolve around faith. And there'll never be a time in your life, a season, a circumstance when you don't need faith. And maybe like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're dealing with infertility. And you feel like you're covered by a dark season of your life. You feel like maybe God is silent in hearing and answering. And faith is required to move forward. Maybe, maybe today you're here and um, you're struggling with a situation with your career. And maybe you feel overwhelmed with darkness and you feel like God is silent and he's not answering and you've got questions and you're looking forward and the, and the forward-looking future to you is very fuzzy. You need to walk with the Lord in faith. Maybe you're navigating singleness and you're praying for God's will and you're praying for someone to share life with and you feel like you're in a season where God is silent and he's not answering. You're called to walk in faith. Maybe you've got a family situation where you've got a wayward child, you've got something unique that's happened in your family and you're calling out the Lord and you feel like he's not answering. You feel like you're in a dark season and you need to walk by faith. And maybe it's something with your health. Listen, you're never gonna graduate to a part of the Christian journey that doesn't require faith. But I can tell you this, our God is an oath and our God remembers his people and his promises. And he's faithful to you in whatever season you're in or whatever season you will encounter in the future. He's faithful in every situation and circumstance, no matter how dark it may be, no matter how silent he may appear to be. Our God is faithful. Our God's promises are true. He loves you. He's for you. And 
for us right now in this moment, we need to take the next step by faith. We can trust him. Let, 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 let me wrap up like this. It's, um, it's gonna happen to all of us at some point in time or another that we're gonna be in a season of darkness. And in that season of darkness, let me, let me, let me, let me kind of show you what I'd like to see God do. <laughs> all right? Here's, here's how so often we want God to work in the darkness. We want a flashlight. Say, well, there's a doorway, there's a way out, there's a baptistry. I'm not sure how that'll help me, but... <laughs> you know, I'm... Um, I want to see into the future something with your family, something with your health, something with your kids, something with your career, whatever it is. You know, this is how we want God to where we pray. God, okay, God, I'm in this situation. I want to be out of this situation. And God, it'd be nice if you could kind of show me the outcome. It'd kind of be kind of nice if you could show me what's coming, right? You know, you know what the problem with that is? If God gave us the roadmap to where we could see the doorway out all the time and we could see everything that's way out in front of us, we wouldn't need him. And I know you're saying, no, God, if you would give me the flashlight, God, if you would show me the outcome of my circumstances, if you would show me, you know, what's a year out and two years out, God, if you would show me who I'm going to marry, God, if you'd show me the resolution to my job crisis, if you'd show me the resolution to my health issue, God, if you'd show me that, oh, I would trust you all the more. But the problem is we wouldn't. The problem is if we could see out into the future, like we, we wouldn't really need to lean into the Lord. We wouldn't need to exercise faith. We wouldn't have to trust him as much. And so God doesn't lead us with a flashlight. You know how he leads us? Hang on, let me find it. <laughs> All right, here, here's, how, here's how he leads us. All right, he leads us not with a flashlight but with a lantern. This is how God leads his people. I can't see the way out. I can't see the baptistry. I can just see right in front of me. I, I can see where I can take my next step and my next step after that and my next step after that. And listen to me, dear ones, this is how God's gonna work in your life. And you and I have to make the decision, are we gonna trust God and his faithfulness in this moment with what we can see? Or are we gonna display a doubt like Zechariah? I'm here to tell you today that the incarnation is one of the ultimate proofs that you can trust God with where you stand right now even though you can't see into the future and you don't know the outcome of everything and you don't know fully what the future holds. You know this, there is a God, your God, who is already there. And he gave his son for you so that you could be there with him. And if you'll lean into King Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, if you'll trust him for your salvation and you'll walk with him every single day by faith, a faith to take the next step, a faith to be faithful in this moment, he will never let you down. He won't do it. And so here's my challenge and encouragement to you today with wherever you are in life today, just like Zechariah, if you feel like you're in darkness, if you feel like God is silent, I promise you, 
He's not silent. He has already spoken, and he's spoken most profoundly through the person of his son. He loves you. He's for you. He's faithful. Take the next step. (laughs) And he'll never let you down.